Okay, we're going to be in Second Chronicles tonight. Second Chronicles chapter 20. I was surprised in looking through my notes of the last 30 years of preaching, how little I've preached on this passage, but I like it. And I'm not going to preach the whole thing, but I do want to preach part of it because I just want to focus on a couple of aspects. It's out of the life of Jehoshaphat. And um, he was a great king. He was, you know, if you, if you study the lines of the kings, the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, uh, the kings of Judah, by and large, were the more godly line of the kings. The kings of Israel, and we'll see an example of that in, these, in the people we talk about tonight, were usually uh, more, uh, less devoted to God and more prone to idolatry. But I just want to begin by reading one verse, and then we'll pray, and then we're just going to study some things together. Second Chronicles chapter 20, and let's stand for the reading of verse 12. Now this is a part of Jehoshaphat's prayer, and it's really, it's really uh, at the end of his prayer, but it's expressing his, his focus, his devotion uh, to trusting in God. Second Chronicles 20 and verse 12, O our God... Wilt thou not judge them, talking about his enemies, and we'll discuss tonight who those enemies were. For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. And one of the things I like about this part of the prayer is he's declaring his helplessness. We have no might. We are not, in our own ability, capable of winning this war. We have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do. We don't have the might. We don't have the wisdom. We don't know what to do. You've probably never been there. But Jehoshaphat was there. And he had a great history of trusting the Lord up to this point. We have no might. We don't know what to do. But, verse, 11, verse 12, <coughs> pardon me. <clears throat> but our eyes are upon thee. That's a great phrase, isn't it? We don't know what, we, don't, we can't handle it, and we don't know what to do, but we are trusting in you. Our eyes are upon you. And that's, and that's kind of what we're going to focus on tonight, um, because it's, some, it's really a, a very practical, but a very simple concept, and we want to think about it together tonight. Let's pray, all right? Father, we thank you for your word, and what a blessing it is to read the Bible and to learn from it, to learn the historical accuracy and evidence of your work among your people, but also to learn practically about how you work in our lives. And we can learn from the mistakes of people we read about in the Bible, and we can learn from uh, the wise decisions of people we read about in the Bible. We thank you for the testimony of Jehoshaphat, we pray you'd bless as we study tonight. Again, we pray you'd bless at the camp tonight. May your hand continue to be upon them, especially we pray for Brother Sites, Brother Justin, those who lead, whoever will be preaching tonight. May you work in hearts, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Jehoshaphat, 
was, as I said, the king of Judah. His father was a good king. His father's name was Asa. Asa was not perfect, but Asa was a good king. Like we see sometimes in the Bible, uh, at the end of his life, Asa let things fall apart. Matter of fact, a similar thing happened to Jehoshaphat. Asa, you might remember that he was a man who, who was really dependent upon God, was known for his dependence upon God, and then when he got in a bind, he relied upon God, he relied upon those who God did not want him to trust in, and it was to him that we had this great verse of Scripture. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. And what, he, what God said to Asa was, I just wanted you to learn to trust me. And he did that because he wasn't trusting him. And then at the end of his life, you remember this, it says, And Asa was diseased in his feet, and in his illness he sought not the Lord. He, here he was, had been a good godly king, and at the end of his life, things fell apart. It's a good, this in itself is a good reminder. Don't assume because you know, we're near the end of the journey that we can put it on autopilot. I think we need to keep trusting the Lord until the end. And so Asa died and Jehoshaphat uh, took over as the king. Look in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, just giving you a little bit of introduction to Jehoshaphat. It says uh, in 16 where Asa died, verse, uh, actually it says he slept with his fathers in 16, 13. And in 2 Chronicles 17, Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his stead. And notice this, strengthened himself against Israel. Now, again, I go over these things because I think they're important. You know, after the death of Solomon, uh, Rehoboam was Solomon's son. And Rehoboam uh, made some foolish decisions also. And the kingdom was divided. Jeroboam was the king of Israel. That's the northern kingdom, the upper part. Their capital was Samaria. And Judah was the southern kingdom, and Rehoboam was the king of the southern kingdom. And so that's why going through the, this part of the Old Testament, you have the, Israel and Judah. And notice it says here, Jehoshaphat, who was the, who was the king of the southern kingdom, whose headquarters was in Jerusalem. He was, the, he was the king of Judah. His, and it says, and he strengthened himself against Israel. Now, and if you don't know your history, you're going to wonder, why would a godly king of Judah strengthen himself against Israel? I mean, Israel's God's people. It's because the kingdom is divided. Now, Jehoshaphat starts off good. He's a good king. Quickly look in chapter 17 and verse 2. I'm going to go through this quickly. He, he was such a wise king. He placed forces in all the fenced cities of Judah, set garrisons in the land of Judah. He's fortifying the southern kingdom. He's building these garrisons and fenced cities um, in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa his father had taken. And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the ways of his father David and sought not unto Balaam. He was not an idolater. Verse 4, but sought to the Lord God of his fathers and walked in his commandments and not after the doings of Israel. He's not doing like the northern kingdom, the leaders of the northern kingdom. He's not following after their traditions and their idolatry. Um, a part of that idolatry, Brother 
Hawkins preached about on a Sunday night, the sins of Jeroboam. You might remember that just a couple of weeks ago. That was the northern kingdom. Verse 5, Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presents, and he had riches and honor in abundance, and his heart, notice this, was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he took away the high places, the groves out of Judah, the places of false worship. And so this is Jehoshaphat's beginning. But then look in chapter 18 in verse 1. And Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance. God was blessing him. And then notice this. And joined affinity with Ahab. Now who's Ahab? Somebody tell me. The king of Israel and the wicked king of Israel. One of the wickedest kings Israel ever had. So now you get this godly king Jehoshaphat in the southern kingdom. And then you have Israel who's got an idolater. Ahab is their king. And Jehoshaphat makes affinity with him. Now, you may or may not know what that means. But this is what it means. Jehoshaphat, this godly king, had a son who married Ahab's daughter. That's what it means when he says he made affinity. So he is making this connection with this ungodly kingdom. And we could look all those verses up. We're not going to do that. So as a result of that, just kind of again, we're just refreshing our memory. As a result of the fact that Jehoshaphat has now got a a relationship with Ahab. Uh, He spent some time here in chapter 18 with Ahab. And Ahab said, would you go up with me against Jabesh Gilead? And will you go with me? And that's the story of when Jehoshaphat said, uh, well, do you have any, anybody around here has connections with God? Let's see, if, if, see, if, see what they would say. Let's ask the prophets. And all these prophets came out and said, you go, God will bless you. You go, God will bless you. And, and Jehoshaphat said, um, Is this all you got? And he says, no, I got one more. His name's Micaiah. But we shouldn't talk to him because he never says anything good. (laughs) He's he's negative. Negative Nancy. So Jehoshaphat said, well, let's bring him in and see what he says. And so Jehoshaphat told him the truth. This is going to cost you. And uh, Ahab said, well, we're going to go to battle. Let's put Micaiah in prison. And when we get back, we'll deal with him. And Micaiah said, if you even come back then you'll know that I didn't tell you the truth. Well, sure enough, in battle, someone drew a bow at a venture, just shot, and caught Ahab, and he bled to death. So here's Jehoshaphat, who's a good king, making this alliance through marriage with Ahab and his family. And these are all these things are happening, taking place. And... Um, that brings us back to our text. Let's go there. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 1. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, with them other beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. So now Jehoshaphat's facing another problem. The children of Ammon, the children of Moab. If you, could, if you were looking at a map, I'm going to do it for you, 
and you've got the northern kingdom of Israel and then Judah, and then and you've got the Jordan River on the right boundary, and over on this side of the river, on the east side of the river, you've got Moab and Ammon, who were perpetual enemies of Israel and Judah. By the way, in case you've forgotten where Moab and Ammon came from, those were those kings, those kingdoms, those nations were the, were the offspring, the result of the incestuous relationship between Lot and his two daughters. And the children that were born of those, that incestuous relationship became the nations of Ammon and Moab. Now, I'd love right now just to quiz you and see if you're hearing anything that kind of sounds strange to you. I, I tell you, we need to learn our Bible, right? We need to, because all the, the more we know it, the more the story fits together. That's why I encourage people to read through the Bible every year. The more you read through it, the more you'll be familiar with it. So anyway, these Ammonites and Moabites are coming against, in verse 1, they're coming against Jehoshaphat. And look what it says in verse 2. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they be in Hazan Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Gedi is a place that David would hide out in the caves when he was running from Saul. And Gedi is in Israel right next to the Dead Sea. We've been there. It's actually like a little oasis. We've been to En Gedi on two different times. So, so they're, here are the enemies coming. So we're, now we're right into the story. They come and say, there's a, it, it describes them, I have these words underlined in my Bible, a great multitude is coming against us. And look what happens in verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared. Now I'm going to go on and read some good stuff. But what, how did he respond immediately? What was his knee-jerk reaction? He was afraid. We've got these nations coming against us. It is a great multitude, not just a few people, a great multitude. And if you know your geography, you know that if they're, if they're at En Gedi, they are already in Israel. They've crossed over the Jordan River. They've gone west of the Dead Sea. And they're actually in uh, Israel territory, this great multitude. And here's one of the things that stands out to me in this story, and I'm going to start kind of making some personal application. It kind of, it, I can identify with how Jehoshaphat must have felt because it wasn't like he just had a little problem. It's like he's got this major problem. And it's like he's overwhelmed by it. And by the way, that's the way problems can be sometimes. They can be overwhelming. They can be numerous. They can kind of compound upon one another. But what did he do in verse 3? And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So what, did he, what was his immediate reaction to this to this? Uh, invasion, this invading army, it was to turn to God. Wasn't that, isn't that a, good, a good example? He began to seek the Lord. He didn't, he didn't uh, go and look for some help from somebody that would be ill-advised. He began to seek the Lord. 
and um, good advice for us. And not only did he begin to seek the Lord, look in verse 3, or verse 4, and, he, and Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So what was a very negative thing caused really a national, really kind of a national response. They came from all the cities of Judah, and they came there and began to seek God. Now look in verse 5. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem, the congregation being all the people of Judah, Jerusalem being the city, but in more particular, verse 5, in the house of the Lord, in the temple area before the new court. Joshua is standing before the congregation and he begins to pray. Look in verse 6. And said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might? so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of the land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy, thy friend forever? Now he's talking to God, and he's kind of reminiscing with God. He says, aren't you the same God that when the descendants of Abraham occupied this land where we are right now, once the land of Canaan, that you drove out the people and you gave it to your people, Israel. Verse 8, And they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, this house, saying, and now he's going to see if you can remember part of this prayer in verse 9, saying, If when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment or pestilence or famine... We stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, name being synonymous with presence, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. Now it's a very important thing that he's doing. He's, he's sort of, he's recalling the prayer that was prayed. He's praying in the temple. And he is recalling a prayer that was prayed many years before in this same temple. By who? Prayed by who? By Solomon. At the, at the dedication of this temple. Hold your finger right here in 2 Chronicles 20. And go with you, would please, to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 8. If, you, if your Bible is like my Bible, sometimes it has headings at the top of it. Do yours have these headings at the top? My, right here it says, Solomon's Prayer at the Dedication of the Temple. And you all have that at the top of your page? If not, you ought to get you a better Bible. We just happen to have some in the bookstore. So, so this is Solomon's Prayer. What's the occasion? The temple has been Built, it's been constructed, and, and Solomon prayed here in this prayer in the temple. And let me just point out a couple of verses. Look in verse 33 of 1 Kings chapter 8. Verse 33. Here's part of his prayer. When thy people Israel be smitten down before the enemy, 
because they've sinned against thee and shall turn again to thee and confess thy name and pray and make supplication unto thee in this house, then hear thou in heaven and forgive the sin of thy people Israel and bring them again unto the land which thou gavest unto their fathers. And look down in verse 37. If there be in the land famine, if there be pestilence, blasting, mildew, locusts, or if there be caterpillar, if there if their enemy besiege them in the land of their cities, whatsoever plague, whatsoever sickness there be, what prayer and supplication be made by any man or by all the people of Israel, which shall know every man the plague of his own heart and spread forth his hands toward this house, then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place and forgive and do and give to every man according to his ways. So try to picture this if you can. When Solomon built this temple, and they finished the temple, it was exceedingly magnifica, was the words of the Old Testament. Magnificent structure. Then Solomon prays this prayer, and he says, In the future, God, if an enemy ever comes against us, and your people come into this place, right here where we are, to pray, then hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and defeat their enemies. Now fast forward hundreds of years. These enemies of Moab and Ammon have come against God's people. And Jehoshaphat had enough sense about him to say, we need God's help. And so he gets into the, the very temple where Solomon was, and he begins to pray some of the very words that Solomon prayed and said, God, this is what people prayed in this place. And we need your help. Would you come help us? He's rehearsing this prayer. And we're back to 2 Chronicles 20. God, they asked God for help. Look in verse 10. 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 10. We're almost to our text. 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 10. And now he's praying, Behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. These people, Mount Seir would be like Edom which is south of Moab in uh, Ammon. And uh, those are the descendants of Edom. And um, th those are the descendants of Jacob, Esau and Jacob. They, that's the, where they landed. Okay, so he's, he's talking to God. Behold, look, behold. See the children of Ammon and Moab. They're right here on our doorstep which thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them or not. Behold, I say, verse 11, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession. You put us here, they want to cast us out. By the way, that's the same thing that's still going on in Israel today. God put them there, and these descendants of Ishmael and the, are wanting to get them out of there which thou hast given us to inherit. Verse 12. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company which cometh against us. We cannot defend ourselves against this enemy. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. They're asking God for help. They're confessing their weakness. We don't know what to do. Their ignorance. But they had their focus right. Our eyes are on you. We're not, 
We don't know what to do. The enemy's surrounding us, but we're looking to you. Now, that is such good advice, isn't it? It's such a powerful, simple and powerful thing. Our, you know what? We, we get our eyes on everything else besides God sometimes. We look at our circumstances, we look at our feelings, we look at what other people are saying. We look at the, what seem like insurmountable obstacles. We look, that's what we're looking at. But he says, we're not looking at that. Our eyes, we're going to keep our eyes on you. It's so easy for us to get our eyes on other things. Get our eyes on the storm. Get our eyes on our own weaknesses. Get our eyes on our circumstances. And uh, I was just noticing today, I want to quickly point out a few of these. Hold your finger here in 2 Chronicles. We'll come back and finish up here. But go to the book of Psalms for a moment and just notice a few references of the psalmist toward this matter of keeping our eyes on the Lord. Look, go to Psalms 25. Psalm 25. This is a psalm of David. Chapter 25, verse 15. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord. He says, my, my eyes are just focused always on the Lord, ever toward the Lord. Go to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. Verse 1. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. I'm looking to the hills for my help's coming from and my help's coming from the Lord. In other words, I'm looking for the Lord. It's a, it's a very common theme. In Psalm 123 and verse 1, Unto thee I lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. My, I'm looking up to you. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that He have mercy upon us. It's looking in faith. It's looking in trust. It's looking in dependence. Psalm 141. Psalm 141 in verse 8. Another Psalm of David. But mine eyes are unto Thee, O Lord, the God, and Thee is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute. So back to 2 Chronicles 20. We see this important principle of life. You know, have you ever heard people say, just keep your eyes on the Lord? And that, you know, you can't see Him, right? There's no way you can see Him. But we look to Him in faith. We, we're looking to the Lord. We're not looking to ourselves. We're not looking to the... You know, God, God in the Old Testament, more than once, God said that He would, he would curse those who trusted in themselves, trusted in their flesh. We're not to trust in ourselves. We're to trust in the Lord. And so 2 Chronicles 20, I don't know what to do. We don't have any might against this enemy, but our eyes are upon you. Now, God gave a great victory. And if we had time, we could, I mean, there's so much in this chapter. It's such a great chapter. But uh, God sent a prophet to the people of God there at the temple and brought them a message. Look at verse 14. Then upon 
Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph. Upon him, Jehaziel, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, God, God came upon this prophet, and he said in verse 15, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat. Listen, all of you. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go you down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and you shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not. So this prophet comes and gives them this great message. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. <laughs> and Jehoshaphat believed it. Look in verse 18. He took courage. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Now, as far as Jehoshaphat was concerned, this battle was won, right? This victory was in the bag. It's, it's a done deal. Based on what? Based on what God said. Based on the message that came to them through this prophet. So he's encouraged now, but now he encourages the people. Look in verse 20. And they rose early in the morning and went forth unto the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe His prophets, so shall you prosper. He, believed, he knew that was a prophet of God. And he says, if, if it's a message from God, then believe it, and you'll be blessed. You'll prosper. Verse 21, And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and they, that they should establish the beauty of holiness. They went out before the army and to say, Praise the Lord, for His mercy endureth forever. He sent the choir out there to sing. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone began to help to destroy one another. They just, the enemy was discomfited. They began to turn against each other and slay each other. And Israel or Judah just standing there watching it. And God gave a great victory. Isn't that a great story? It's a great story. And here's the point. Why is it so hard sometimes for us just to keep our eyes on the Lord? 
You know, we get to looking at how we feel. We get to looking at deadlines. We get to looking at circumstances. We look at our problems, especially when they seem to be multiplying and mounting up. And that's the way it was in Jehoshaphat's life. And God wants us to trust Him. Fear looks at circumstances, and faith looks at God. Faith looks to God. Trust in God. You say, well, I don't know how it's going to work out. That's not our job. That's God's job. Our job is to trust Him, right? That's, that's what pleases God more than anything. It, you know what pleases God more than you figuring out how you're going to do your, your world? You trusting God and letting God lead and guide, but God wants, to, wants us to trust Him. And by the way, you say, well, I just think it's hard to do. Lots, everybody finds it hard to do. Lots of good people in the Bible had the same problem. You know, the first one that comes to my mind is, is Simon Peter. When, you know, he got out of the boat and he's walking to the Lord. And, he's, and, and, and then what did he begin to do? He began to see the wind and the waves and the storms. And all of a sudden he began to doubt. And doubting, he began to sink. It's easy to be distracted. It's so easy to be distracted. And I, this is, I know I'll keep saying this until God, by His grace, takes me from this world. But people are so distracted. They can't focus on hardly anything. They can't sit in church and focus. I mean, you can, they, they, their phone's not on. You know, their, the television's not on. The music's not on. But still they can't focus. Just sitting in church, they can't focus. How are we going to, and, and so how, and, and you say, what difference does it make? Because faith is trusting in God. It's focusing on God. It's looking to God and depending on God. And when you talk to people like that, some people, you might as well be talking to them in a, in a foreign language because they don't know how to trust God. It doesn't even connect with them. You, and, and, and sometimes I wonder, how did you ever get saved? If you can't trust God for, you know, the smallest things, how did you ever get saved? So, so we... We, it happens to all of us. It happens to me. It happens to me. I get to thinking about this and that and worrying about that and fretting and thinking about all this stuff. But looking to God is a matter of faith. It's a matter of trusting in the Lord. Faith, Paul tells us, look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporal. They're temporary. Which everything you can see is temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. And part of life is learning to trust in God, right? Learning to depend upon God. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of discipline. But the amazing thing to me, one of the amazing things to me about King Jehoshaphat was that was his first response. When the trials, when the, news, when the news came, when the phone rang and said, you're not going to believe this, but we have spotted thousands of people and they're already in our country and we're in a heap of trouble. His first response was to begin to pray and fast and get everybody to seek God. That's a pretty good response, isn't it? Don't you wish we had leaders like that? <laughs> Can't you imagine? Well, we're not saying that. Now again, just to, just to give balance and be honest and truthful, if you look at the very end of this chapter, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, 
the last record of Jehoshaphat before he died was he joined himself to the new king of Israel and displeased God, and God chastised him. Isn't that something? I'm so glad God gives us not just the, not just the good stuff about somebody's life, but the, the warts too. The good stuff and the not so good stuff. You know why I'm glad for that? Because it's a warning to us. Just because you trust God today doesn't mean you're going to trust Him tomorrow. You have to keep trusting Him. And He had this great victory. Imagine this, this great victory where they didn't even have to fight. They send the singers out to sing. And God discomfited their enemy and they slaughtered each other. Matter of fact, if you read all that story, we're not going to do it tonight, of course, but when they went out to pick up the spoils, just to pick up the stuff that was left, it took them three days just to pick up the spoils. Three days just to gather up all the stuff they left. Seeing all that, and then he messed up by looking, joining a confederation with someone that God did not want him to be with. We all, have, we all can have that tendency. So tonight, I just want to encourage us to keep our eyes on the Lord, to get your eyes on the Lord. Get them off of whatever else you look. You, you just think about this. If I spend more time looking at something or someone, looking to them with admiration, looking to them as, as uh, my helper, my look. if you spend more time looking to something or someone than you do the Lord, what does that tell you? Does that not tell you that they're more important to you than the Lord is? That's a bad place to be, isn't it? God wants us to look to Him. We get to, sometimes I've heard people a lot of times, they, you know, they're focused on who said this and who did there and where they went and you know, they hurt this, they hurt me. And all that stuff happens, it's real. But as long as you keep focusing on it, it's only going to hurt you. Keep your eyes on the Lord because He'll never let you down.